Welcome back to The Wrong Opinion Presents, a movie podcast. We are changing the name, changing the direction. Talked about this a long time ago now. Uh, There's only so many Marvel movies out there, so season one of The Wrong Opinion Presents, a movie podcast. You need the uh, colon in there. We'll be... Will be MCU rewatch. We'll be doing several seasons of rewatches. We'll be doing weekly, bi-weekly, whenever I feel like it, movie updates. Just going over quickly movies I liked in theaters. Uh, once a year, we'll be doing an Oscars preview, basically just my guesses, and with a couple new awards that have nothing to do with the Oscars. I'm saying this all, this is all in the trailer. We are also doing an annual year in review, which is what we're doing today. We got five sections here of movies I saw in 2023 in theaters. This is literally just theatrical releases. Our five sections. Number one, this is why I love movies. Section two, no complaints. Had a great time. Section three, an unexpectedly fun movie. Section four, enjoyed without a lasting impression. Section five, actively didn't enjoy. These are gonna be mostly subjective, so feel free to tweet me if you hate my wrong opinions. I paused there because I realized I need to make a new Twitter. Going through this, I saw 27 movies in cinema last year. Saw several more outside of theaters. But we're just doing how good I felt about the movie after walking out of the theater. Popcorn still stuck in my teeth. Alright. A lot of big ones I missed. Specifically DC. Didn't watch any of those. Didn't watch Mission Impossible. Barely missed out on Napoleon. Felt bad about that. Uh, obviously, a lot of big uh, Netflix releases that I didn't see, that don't count for this list. Uh, May December doesn't count. Uh, Past Lives I missed in its theatrical run. Uh, a couple more, but we'll get into it. Section five actively didn't enjoy. I only had one movie in this section. We had a really, really good movie year. I also did a really good job of not going to movies I didn't think I would like. Uh, so number twenty-seven, I had Silent Night. I was so excited about the trailer. It looked. It just the concept is pretty cool. Fight scenes are always fantastic in John Woo movies, so I, what do you expect there? Um, I did not know about the gimmick going in. That probably ruined it for me. <laughs> I hadn't seen it. We're obviously going to spoil it right here. Nobody talks during the entire movie. You hear a couple of radio voices. doesn't really count. There is zero dialogue in the entire movie. Um, now, the fight scenes made this movie really good. There's just a lot of logic flaws about it, like... What this guy watches a couple YouTube videos and now he's Batman. Um, he gets shot and he's fine and then he's dead after he meets the bad guy. That's ridiculous. Um, but the gimmick, I think it just didn't work for me. Partly because I like it could have been done well, it just wasn't. Like there were points where specifically his wife, who was not shot in the throat and could actually speak, she would do this thing where she's like, oh, I want to talk to you, but I just can't because. Well, the director told me not to, but I'm going to pretend it's like because I'm too emotional. I just didn't like that at all. The people I was with enjoyed it. I just was counting down the minutes to be done. Section 4, enjoyed without a lasting impression. Uh, number 26, could have been in Section 5, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. If not for the incredible performance by Jonathan Majors. Obviously, Jonathan Majors is probably done in the MCU. Uh, not a great guy. Good actor. I still enjoy the performance. Uh, the MODOK thing was so funny. I did not anticipate god there, there was just a few comic book plot points i was like they're they are never gonna put this in a movie modok was definitely one of it they could never put him in a movie and they did and it worked and then they kept doing it and it stopped being funny 
the script was just like, I, I think they forgot to finish the second half. You can talk to me about Ant-Man fighting Kang fist to fist and it working out. That's it, like, it was an enjoyable movie. Way too much CGI for me, but there's things I hated worse. Uh, number 25, The Little Mermaid. This was not on my going into the year list of films I needed to see. Um, my biggest issue with the Disney live action remakes is that they use these great directors, these great filmmakers, and then they just don't make a movie like the filmmaker normally does. You know, it's like they just have the the film director as like marketing, as a marketing tactic. Obviously, they had Rob Marshall, incredible uh, musical director for Chicago Into the Woods. Um, I think he did Mary Poppins Returns. He also did Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, now that I'm looking it up to confirm the Mary Poppins Returns. He did a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's weird. So that probably makes the most sense more than like John Favreau or Kenneth Branagh or who did the other one? Robert Zemeckis did Pinocchio. Guy Ritchie did Aladdin. Why? Tim Burton did Dumbo. That kind of makes sense, actually. Just these are clearly Disney productions that are they're not based around the, the filmmaker themselves, which bothers me. But uh, Halle Bailey, absolute star. She was fantastic. Uh, Melissa McCarthy, I enjoyed. She was funny. Javier Bardem was so weirdly cast. Like I just could not stop staring at him as King Triton. I did not like that casting. Outside of that, it like fun movie. One part where I specifically remember, this is several months ago now, Scuttle, played by Aquafina, by the way, maybe my favorite part of the movie, the what's a scuttle, but I talked about that in the, uh, in the uh, Shang-Chi podcast. PJ thought I was an idiot. She dropped the fish, flounder, whatever, whomever. And she kept going because she couldn't turn around to go get him. And I'm like, just go back down. So just, that didn't make any sense. That didn't really make the movie any worse. Uh, number 24, Talk To Me. This is definitely not my kind of movie. I was tricked to go into a horror movie. Done really well. I was scared, which is the goal of the film. Um, so good job to you guys, I guess. I just don't know why people would want to go to a movie and be like, hey, let's be scared, you know? It had massive, massively good ratings, a small budget, you know, just the, in the classic uh, form of uh, good conceptual horror movie that just ma turns a massive profit percentage-wise. Um, it had an interesting story. The performances were just spot on. I didn't know anybody in this movie, which is awesome. I love going to movies like that. Um, created by, I believe it was like YouTube creators who were going to do something in the DCEU and dumped that idea. And this ended up being, up to now, at least up to the point it was released, it was like the second highest grossing A24 movie ever. That's, that's fantastic. That's like living the dream. That's living my dream. Jealous. Um, the ideas of, of, of going, of grief of childhood going into adulthood, that was way more interesting to me. And I think that was the intent. That was way more interesting than the actual uh, horror itself. Um, and that, that's always what you want in a horror movie is, is something beyond just the horror. Uh, number 23, Creed 3. So I had actually never seen any of the Creed movies and I love Rocky. I always loved Rocky. I hadn't seen any of the Creed movies, binged the first couple with my two friends who said I needed to immediately. And they were absolutely right. Uh, before going to Creed, it was good. It is probably the third best Creed movie. Um, Jonathan Majors again, absolutely. Like this was his year until it just was definitely not. This was definitely the most, I don't know about the most cinematic, it was the most Hollywood of the movies. Um, and it just was a little more earnest, honestly, than I would have preferred compared to the first few. And 
I mean, the the strength of the first one, and I kind of, I, I'm straight up here, I kind of uh, meld the first two together because I saw them back to back. Just that one shot, like literally the, the one shot, the, the unbroken take, that was just absolutely beautiful. And I believe that it was the first one. And just nothing that exciting in this one. It was way more familial, way more, again, Hollywood. Um, but this was Michael B. Jordan directing, I wanted to confirm. And yeah, that was his directorial debut. He's got Creed Four that he's directing coming out. Not yet announced yet. Um, excited for that, though. It, it's going to be good. And Tessa Thompson, I love you in anything. 22, John Wick, Chapter 4. Uh, I'd seen the first John Wick. I just don't like this type of movie. The, the you know, mindless shoot him up. I did not see the first three before going to this one, thinking I, it would be fine. I was absolutely wrong. I did not know what was going on for most of the movie. Uh, so that kind of hurt. But the fight scenes in this movie just astounding. And I think it had the funniest single shot of 2023 when John Wick is fighting upstairs, gets up those stairs, gets kicked, tumbles down a thousand stairs. That was so freaking funny. I thought they were gonna do a sequel. He died, so not sure how, how that's gonna happen. Uh, the strength of this movie though was the fight scenes and that's, that's like, they knew what they were doing. John Wick said like five words, you know? Uh, Keanu Reeves, the less he talks, the better. 21, The Equalizer 3, same concept. Uh, not my favorite type of movie, but this was way more... Um, this is way less shoot 'em up than I think I was anticipating from The Equalizer franchise, which is probably why I ranked it over John Wick. The fight scenes were less exciting. Uh, it was a little more full of itself, a little more earnest in a way I didn't you know, really love. But it also had the heart that, the, that John Wick just intentionally lacked. Uh, Dakota Fanning was fantastic. I haven't seen her in anything in a long time, so I was happy to see her. Uh, she's obviously, as I was growing up, a fantastic kid star that was in a lot of a lot of awesome things. So that was that was great. Uh, section three, un unexpectedly fun movie. Number twenty, Gran Turismo. When I first saw the trailer, I was excited. It looked fun. When I saw more trailers, I thought it was going to be stupid. I made the mistake of looking at. Reviews early, which I never do. I should have done that with Silent Night. Uh, got less excited. This movie was so exhilarating. Like, you feel like you're in a car going a thousand miles an hour. Um, and that's that's that was the entire goal of this movie. Like I often do, I looked up the true story, and it was actually more interesting, probably, than the than the movie, which is always kind of funny. Jaman Hansu, this was one of my favorite roles of his, because it was so much more subtle than his... Uh, he's often been, you know, a screamer, a guy that yells, and he's really good at it, so let him do it. But he, as this pained and painful dad uh, to Jan, one of my favorite roles, not his best role, but just the fact that it was different from what he normally does. Uh, David Harbour is pretty good, but this kid, uh, Archie Matawike, I am definitely pronouncing that wrong, have never heard of him before. I guess he was in Midsummer. No kidding. Um, he's also in Saltburn this year. Had a nice, had a nice year. I don't see him in anything upcoming, which is crazy. He had a really good year. He was in Bo is Afraid, too. Oh, man. Killer year by this guy, whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce again because I butchered it. Uh, Gran Turismo, just a, a roller coaster in amusement park ride, and I say that in the best way possible. The Covenant is number 19. I rarely, like, love war movies uh, because I think they're all you know, cookie cutter, and that's fine. They're enjoyable, but they're not. I'm not going to love them. This movie I, I really enjoyed. Uh, Guy Ritchie, obviously fantastic at these bro-down dad movies. Uh, the relationship between him and Ahmed, Jake Gyllenhaal and Ahmed, 
that was an interesting concept. Uh, and that was, I mean, basically the, the, the weight of the movie, right? Going into it, you knew that's what it was going to be about. The dragging scene where he's being dragged across the desert went on so much longer than I anticipated, and it completely worked. It was just this harrowing adventure of, of visual, just backbreaking trauma. Uh, just absolutely beautiful, and it was not a second too long. And then at the end, when Homelander, uh, what's his name again? Anthony Starr. I, probably like everybody, I thought he was going to end up being a bad guy. And the fact that he said he would have done it for free, that, that little uh, flip. I, oh man, that's why I love movies. Moments like that. That was fantastic in theaters. I might want to bump that up. Ah, Honestly, I'm kind of convincing myself to put 19 over 18. Um, but Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny at number 18. Just the culmination of a long, long career of loving Indiana Jones and Harrison Ford. I can't imagine there's going to be another one. Uh, James Mingold has never been my favorite director, and I did not really like the direction of this movie. Whether you're talking about timing or pace or just cinematography, eh, not a big fan. Uh, but Harrison Ford was as good as he always is. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, as good as she always is. I think that the time travel angle absolutely worked. Now the line, it doesn't matter what you believe, what matters is how hard you believe it, is an absolutely ridiculous line that I firmly <laughs> disagree with just conceptually, but it's so good in movies, you know? That's such a great movie line. I spoiled this movie for myself, as I did with, um, I've talked about it before, with uh, No Way Home. So I looked up what year Indiana Jones was, was set, and it said, well, you know, 1960, but it's also set in 420 BC. And I'm like, what? So that was that was really upsetting. This is probably the third best Indiana Jones movie. De definitely better than Temple of Doom. I am a Crystal Skull defender. This movie is better than that. Um, just seeing this man at the end of his end of his rope, end of his life. Uh, the fact that Shia LaBeouf bit the bullet in the war. It's a crude way to say it, but that's... We thought that he was going to be taking over. We knew that he... In 2008, we thought that. We knew going into this that he was not going to be in it 15 years later. 15 years later, that's crazy. 19 years after the original Shia LaBeouf came, 15 years later, we know that he's not going to be in it, and they killed him off, off screen. Absolutely heart-wrenching, and just this, this old man who's in his one last adventure, just, yeah... I'm going to rant too much about how much I love Harrison Ford and what this movie can mean towards that. It kind of reminded me of Martin Scorsese's interview with GQ. These old great men reaching the end and what they think about. Really sad to me. Number 17, Wonka. I did not think I would put it this high, which is why it's in the section unexpectedly fun movie. Uh, maybe I saw this more recently, obviously, than Covenant and Indiana Jones. Maybe it's a couple too high. This was like a Muppet movie with real people. Like the... Uh, this does not seem like a live-action movie. Timothy Chalamet, this is not his best role. This is the role I was most shocked that was fantastic by Timothy Chalamet, though. Uh, the songs were good. The visuals were fantastic. I think that was the uh, the strength of this movie. It's just how it looked. Like, I'm not going to grade this movie as, like, a film, you know? Like, this is a movie. This movie's in films. That's a corny way to say it. But this was just a fun thing to watch around Christmas time. Uh, that can make you laugh and just feel good after walking out. And Raul Dahl, anything based off his work is always going to be just a visual treat. And if it's done poorly, it'll be done poorly. Uh, Patterson Joseph, he played Slugworth. I've never heard of that man before in my life. The, <laughs> the only like notable thing he's really been in is The Beach in 2000. And that's only notable because of, of Leo. 
so hoping he's going to be in a couple. He's going to have a nice late stage, late stage uh, career boom. 60, 60 years old this year. I would love to see him in a few more things because he was really, really good. That was my uh, my biggest takeaway was Patterson Joseph was a tremendous character actor in this film, and I want to see him in more. Uh, number 16, No Hard Feelings. I wanted to like this movie so much, and I absolutely did. This was Apatowian. This was a 2007 comedy that just is not released in theaters anymore. Um, another rom-com was just released a few weeks, a couple days ago, uh, with Sydney Sweeney that I'm excited to see because uh, it's the same concept, just these high-concept rom-coms. I don't know if the Sydney Sweeney one is going to be high-concept, but these... This one is a high-concept rom-com with a lot of, lot of heart, and it's absolutely a drama. The Naked Beach scene, one of the most ballsy thing I've ever seen a massive star do. Not only to be naked, but to be naked and not attractive. <laughs> not that she wasn't attractive, but it's just such an unflattering, you know, punching a dude on a beach. You know, whatever. Uh, Andrew Barth Feldman, though, was the breakout star of probably 2023 right uh he was in a ratatouille tiktok musical that's insane um but he's going to be more things going forward i mean going into this it's basically been it, it's been theater right so between him and a guy from our number three movie a couple really good young breakout stars i'm excited to see the rest of the career for uh, number 15 dungeons and dragons honor among thieves i wanted to put this higher this i mean it was a solid movie i think there are great movies and there are perfect movies perfect doesn't mean that it's better than other movies necessarily it's just that this movie could not have been done better dungeons and dragons was a perfect movie with what they had with who they had it could not have been done better uh, this was John Francis Daly, along with the Jonathan Gold scene, but John Francis Daly, obviously, of Freaks and Geeks fame long, long ago. I uh, loved him in Waiting. He also wrote for uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, speaking of. Uh, this was one of the bright spots of a kind of dull first three months of the year. Obviously, normally is that way with uh, Oscar bait stuff coming earlier and then and the blockbusters coming out in the summer. Uh, but Chris Pine, just showing again why he is one of the top couple stars in Hollywood. Um, doesn't do a lot of comedies, but does a lot of comedic... He does a lot of funny characters in action movies. This was probably his highest profile straight-up comedy role. Is that fair? This was more... Like, this was a comedy. It's an action movie, dude, but it was a comedy. Uh, he's also in Horrible Bosses, too. I forgot he played Jack Ryan. That's completely random, but whatever. Played Jack Ryan in a Kenneth Branagh movie. Not relevant. Bradley Cooper's cameo, fantastic. Uh, Michelle Rodriguez, I think, was my favorite part of this movie. And I I don't love Fast and the Furious, which is what she's you know basically done for her entire career. Uh, but loved her. The entire uh, top cast, really. Now, I've heard and I've read that this movie really just got the vibe of Dungeons & Dragons. I've never played it myself, so can't tell you. Um, but that's kind of cool. Uh, I had a great emotional core that a lot of fantasy films, I think, are definitely lacking. Like Lord of the Rings, there is no emotional core to that. It makes you feel stuff because it envelops you so well. Um, but this movie just had an emotional core that a lot of fantasy doesn't have. That being said, because it was less earnest, it just wasn't as good a movie as, as other ones. But it just great, fun movie that could have made way more money if it was not placed in March. Uh, number 14... 
We are in section two, no complaints. Great time. Bunch of movies I really loved, um, but they're just not the Panthe Pantheon. Uh, these are going to be pretty interchangeable for the most part from 7 to 14. Number 14, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I was definitely not the target audience if you're just talking about this as a film. This was probably the most Gen Z film I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, in a hilarious way. I think it was very um, self-aware of the fact that it was really Gen Z. Because uh, it was written by Seth Rogen. And I believe he was a producer on it. I don't think he directed it. Uh, who's obviously not Gen Z, but is very self-aware and a funny guy. Uh, Evan Goldberg, obviously part of this too, producer on a lot of uh, fantastic just comedy guy for the last 20 years. I uh, don't need to really hype up him too much. Uh, a bunch of no-names, which is a cool idea. I'm going to butcher her name too, but the girl from uh, The Bear who played Sydney as April O'Neil. Uh, he had a couple big names as uh, between Maya Rudolph, John Cena, Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne. Giancarlo Esposito, Jackie Chan, Ice Cube, Paul Rudd, Post Malone, Hannibal Burris in secondary or background roles. Uh, so that was really fun. Um, I loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as a kid. I did not, I didn't even try to watch the ones from 10 years ago. And I've loved pretty much every Ninja Troll piece of content I've ever seen. Um, the action of this wasn't the, it, the action was not the juice in this movie. The juice was the comedy, the hard, the funny, dumb kid stuff, and the fact that it's just taking the Ninja Turtles in a different way, which is a really fun idea. Uh, number 13, A Man Called Otto. And I've talked about this before, but I've, I've struggled with um, uh, dark thoughts, negative thoughts, stuff like uh, Mr. Otto did. Not going to get into too much detail here, but this dealt with suicidal thoughts and tendencies in the best way I've ever seen a movie that wasn't a dark movie. This was a comedy that dealt with suicide in the most apt way possible. This, probably the first movie I saw this year, it was about a year ago to the day now, actually, that I saw it. I broke down in theaters just bawling. It was so sad, so beautiful. I, I think this was the feel-good movie of the year. You could argue about number three when we get up there, but I think that this, um, like, I, I was looking forward to this one for a long time, um, about a year beforehand. I had never actually seen the original version out of Sweden. Um, but for people that, I, I don't even want to like give those people a voice, but the people who said that this movie was inappropriate, shouldn't have been made, I, there's a rating on it for a reason. Like if you're skittish about that stuff, then there's ratings for that. But I have a list of movies where it, it, I love these movies, but I'm incapable emotionally of watching them again. Shame is on that list. That is number one on that list. A Man Called Otto is... It might be on that list, but it was so funny, too, and so feel-good. Like, it just makes you want to hug everybody and treat everybody with kindness and love. So if you're ever, if you're ever in a bad mood, watch maybe an abridged version of this. <laughs> um, Tom Hanks, I, his last 20 years have been, you know, not bad. Just he's been picking weird roles, which, like, to each his own, you know? He's having a good time. But that was, a, that was a great choice by him, I believe. Uh, number 12, The Marvels. We're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, so I'm going to save a little bit of it when I talk with Maisie. Um, but I, I loved this movie. It was fun. If you grade this movie against, like, I don't know, The Winter Soldier, it sucks, but why are you doing that? The point was to be an enjoyable short movie with a beautiful cast, with a fun concept, and with a bunch of cats, and it was super fun. This was a really enjoyable movie. We'll talk about it later. Uh, number 11, Dumb Money. I only went to this one because my friend had actually been part of, uh, because my friend had been part of this GameStop situation, and it just seemed interesting to me. 
I mean, just the energy of this movie, whether or not the concept, the like the the plot was almost irrelevant. The the energy and the acting, it was so chaotically brilliant. Like it was just a great hour and forty five minutes. If it was if it were an hour longer, it would be too much. I think that's what the Wolf Wall Street at three hours had the same energy. And to be able to nail it like that is very Scorsese because he's the master of making long movies not feel long. Um, but this was Craig Gillespie who had uh, who had obviously done things like uh, I, Tanya, um, Cruella, Million Dollar Arm. Not necessarily stuff that I would have thought a movie like this would be on the horizon. And I think that it was the my favorite part of this movie is that it's a time capsule of the pandemic. Because that's just going to be such a weird era looking back on and like how do you like articulate that to your kids but you can show them this movie and it's like yeah it was kind of like this um i think that was my favorite part of this movie the the docudrama part of it like this could have been totally fake and i don't really care you know uh number 10 asteroid city i think this was my favorite i'm pausing because that's a, a bold thing to say it might be my favorite wes anderson movie I just i mean the the offbeat and the the visuals you know what it's about it was this comment on Cold War paranoia, which in any era you can say, oh, it's kind of happening today. Like, yeah, it's because we're humans. We all have the same paranoias, no matter whether it's the Cold War, 9-11, or whatever. Um, and I think if you don't like this movie, like, no judgment. It's Wes Anderson. It is not for everybody. Um, not necessarily for me. Um, but I, this was just a, a great, the, just the brightness of this movie, it just a feel, like I said with that with Man Called Otto, it's not really a feel-good movie, but it's a movie that makes you, you feel warm after watching this one. Not even based on the plot, just, it's just a, it's just a fun, watching this movie is just like a treat, you know, it's like eating a, a big box of Skittles. I'm going to be bummed when this doesn't get any Oscar love, because it won't. Uh, I don't know necessarily that it should. I think that a lot of movies, a lot of Wes Anderson movies can be a little too hectic, a little too fast, and a little too in your face. The fact that the, just how low key this movie was, I think was absolutely to its benefit. Number nine, the biggest movie of the year, Barbie. Look, this, every couple years, there is one, you know, for the audience, Oscar nomination, like a movie that gets a lot of Oscar nominations. Barbie is definitely this year's. Margot Robbie deserves, you know, Oscar nomination. Ryan Gosling does. Greta Gerwig does. I think at this point, Greta Gerwig has absolutely positioned herself as the best female filmmaker. After Lady Bird and Little Woman to end the 2010s, it's been four years. Barbie kind of brought her back out. She's doing the Chronicles of Narvi the Chronicles of Narnia Netflix TV show movie. Interested to see how that goes. I think your next couple of years are really interesting. But Barbie was bright. It was fun. It was short. It made you laugh. It, I think the um, America Ferreira monologue was not good. I don't know how else to word that. Uh, I, it was very, um, I don't know. It was very theater kid, you know, and a little on the nose. I think the point had been made and the point was aptly done. Um, and then it was just like, hey, by the way, if you didn't get it here, here's more of it. Um, and America Ferreira is one of my favorite character act actors. I also think she basically does the same character in every movie, uh, which is fine. She does it well. But between this and uh, Dumb Money and then, uh, of course, Superstore, that's like the same character every time. And that's 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 fine. Barbie was fun, deserved a billion dollars. Uh, number eight, A Haunting in Venice. I love when I watch mysteries, murder mysteries, and completely get it right because that is what happened here. 
the who the actual like who done it part of this movie was less of a chunk of this movie's greatness compared to the other ones. It was it's definitely his strangest Perot movie. It was definitely a, a left turn. I hope he does more and kind of goes back to what he what Perot means. I love this movie. Obviously, I put it this high, less because of of the murder mystery part, which is something that I always like, but the um, I think the actual filmmaking part of this movie was what I liked the most. Branagh's pursuit to make Perot this broken, shell-shocked, PTSD, not war hero, but soldier. Um, I think it, it peaked here in his uh, nihilism, not necessarily nihilism, but his refusal, his atheism, his refusal to believe in talking to the dead, and that he starts to believe it, and we believe it too, because we're seeing what he's seeing, and it's done so beautifully, where when you look back, because I saw it twice, when you look back, you see that's fake, but you're just so enveloped in it that it seems real. So to be able to do, to, to shoot something that is obviously fake, but to make it look like it is fake, but could be real, that that's tough. It's, you know, obviously making it look real, that's one thing. Making it look like it is supposed to look real to the people who are seeing it and to us, but also look fake, beautiful. Um, I like this movie a lot. And number seven, Across the Spider-Verse. I did not like it as much as the first one. The first one, I think, one of the most inspiring movies. Like, if you're just trying to, like, I don't know, run through a wall, I'm going to watch Into the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse wasn't as good as that. I think that what I really liked about this movie, I mean, literally every version of Spider-Man I could think of was in this movie. And as a guy who loves comic books, that was really cool. Uh, Even, like... Just small thing like Easter eggs from the 2000 video game. There were these like uh, glass doors that shoot up of villains that you have to break in that game. And there's just a, a small half second of that in this. That was so cool to me. Um, Spot's a weird, <laughs> he's a weird villain. I think this movie will likely win the Oscar. Boy and Heron might give, I haven't seen Boy and Heron. I don't really care about animated movies that much. Um, but I'm, I, We'll always watch. I, I'm going to continue watching this franchise because I enjoy it. Um, because this is what I think animation has to be. Like, I don't want it to look real. I want it to look like animation. I want it to feel childish, but not like pandering. And that's what this franchise has done really, really well. Uh, so section one, this is why I love movies. Top six movies of the year. Number six and five are really close. I'm going to do them together. Poor Things and The Creator. Now, Poor Things, I think, I want to do a huge deep dive on this. I think some folks were upset that it was a faux-feminist movie. I don't know, was it supposed to be feminist or was it just about independence? This idea that with knowledge comes independence, yes, but also comes depression. But it's better, better than ignorance because when you are ignorant, you can be oppressed and you can be controlled. And she was controlled by Mark Ruffalo. Um, and you saw, it's this coming of age, a Frankenstein coming of age movie. It's just an absolutely bonkers idea. I was not expecting the sex. And I think there's different types of sex in movies. I don't like sex for sex sake because I don't think it's interesting in movies. But if it's in this, it's not the same movie without it. Obviously, the, the, the crux of the movie is that she's so logical about her sex. She enjoys it. She can make money with it. Uh, in Emma Stone, I want her, we're going to talk about this next week when we do the Oscars. Uh, hopes and guesses but to be able to play a two-year-old and a baby (laughs) that was an incredible performance I think she because there are a few people who deserve an Oscar who haven't won one they might get their turn this was one of the best performances I've seen in my entire life going from this 
infant in an adult's body up to this smart, intelligent woman in a matter of, you know, an hour and a half. Uh, Willem Dafoe was great. Rami was great. Ruffalo was great. Emma Stone was transcendent, otherworldly. The creator, I thought, would be in the lower section. I did not anticipate liking it this much. I like sci-fi movies. I don't love sci-fi movies. Um, This type of movie is just not something that really interests me that much. This was such a fascinating just look at war and the fact that there are... The the crux of the movie is that in a war, you know, you got two sides. Both sides have good people. Both sides have bad people. Neither side is right. Neither side is wrong. Innocent people die on both sides. And that is just the beautiful concept of this movie. The filmmaking was excellent. It's just a, a massive surprise great movie from this year that's just... it not getting a lot of it's not getting the buzz it deserves it didn't make a huge splash at the box office it's not gonna make it it's not gonna win any oscars uh but this was one of my favorite mo- movies of the year and i hope that five years from now people on tiktok or whatever are like hey you guys see this movie oh look at that but the reason i have a creator over poor things i think for the most part poor things was a better movie uh it's a type of movie i like more too they both had this little almost like an epilogue Emma Stone's husband, her really her mother's husband, uh, came back, and she finds out that he's a total a-hole. Um, by the way, I think he wins the award. For, well, we'll talk about that next week. Or they kill him, they take his brain out, yada yada. In Creator, um, after he saves the AI child, they go into space, they need to finish the job, destroy the weapon. And in both cases, I was like, why is this here? I thought the movie was over. And now it's, it, it was like racing through the epilogue too, which is really interesting, especially in uh, Creator. It just went so, so fast in that last scene that I wondered why they put it there if they were just going to blow through it. And then it slowed down to a halt in both cases. Um, Creator, you see this final shot of uh, obviously him crying to the child, which it was telegraphed. You saw it coming. It still hurt. It was still really well done. Uh, and then, of course, his wife or girlfriend, whatever, the one he loved, uh, her her brain i don't understand how it works i'm not a fictional ai specialist uh but it made sense in the movie being able to say goodbye to her and say that he chose the right side not that there is a right side and they die together just beautiful in poor things they take out the guy's brain and replace it with a goat and that was a stupid final shot i just did not find that funny i thought maybe they were gonna put willem dafoe's brain in the other guy's body who was by the way fantastic but um yeah, just the goat blurting. I just did not think that was funny. So that's why I have Creator a little bit higher. Um, poor Things probably, I mean, it's going to, just Oscar-wise, Poor Things is going to win a couple. Creator, I just hope it's not forgotten. Number four, remember this is subjective. Killers of the Flower Moon. I love this movie. I've been going through all of Scorsese's things the last couple months because obviously there's, he's got a lot of movies and there's a couple that I've missed. Um... Colors of the Flower Moon might be his most, it might be his best movie. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's his most enjoyable movie. That's I think that's still Goodfellas, maybe Departed. Um, I think Goodfellas is the best at melding the greatness with the enjoyability. But just strictly greatness, I think Colors of the Flower Moon is it. I think Leo was the best actor this year. Um, the fact that he made... De Niro looked like a lesser actor when they were working together. That's just incredible because De Niro is one of the top guys all time. That being said, Lily Gladstone at times 
made DiCaprio look like a lesser actor. Uh, now, in both cases, I think being able to act down and let the person who is acting up um, shine, I think that's a skill in itself. Uh, this movie's gonna finish second place in pretty much every technical category. It's not gonna win a lot of Oscars because bummer movies just don't win Oscars. Uh, it's absolutely on my list of movies I probably am never gonna see again because it is just emotionally wrecking, but it's good enough where I, I'm probably gonna watch it again. Um, kind of like uh, uh, with Gran Turismo, I looked up the actual story and it was way more heartbreaking than even the movie showed. In the la the last minute, or in the last couple minutes with Scorsese himself reading this history of the Osage, that was such an interesting concept and it really shows how personal this story was to him. Um, and obviously there's the white actor, white filmmaker telling this story and it's like he's allowed to tell the story. Like, should he just, should the story not be told? It's not like he's keeping somebody else from telling the story. Um, it, it was just such a beautiful movie for these people who a hundred years ago were just oppressed by their own. It, it's just a devastating thing that it's just an absolutely devastating movie. I think that because it was a bummer movie, <laughs> it was so real too. Uh, like, uh, I'm just going to spoil it. Oppenheimer's on this list upwards. That's a bummer too. It was also real, but it felt like a movie because it was Nolan Scors that, with Scorsese. It, this, it felt real to watch and it hurt. Number three, The Holdovers. I don't think I was happier than when I was watching this movie. It was such a... I, it seemed like it was from the 70s, you know? And obviously it was set in the 70s, which is, is great. Uh, Paul Giamatti is going to win the Oscar, and he better. Uh, Divine Joy R Randolph got to win uh, Supporting Actress. Uh, Dominic Sessa, who saw this guy come in? Literally nobody. He, I believe he was like a student at the school where they were shooting, and that's where they found him. And he was incredible. Like, I wouldn't be mad if he gets nominated for, uh, for an Oscar. Um, obviously... You never just have two leading actors nominated, and Giamatti's Giamatti's gotta he's gotta win. If he doesn't win this, I'm gonna be. I thought that his lazy eye was real. That's how well he sold it, and I just never somehow noticed. I it's one of the great Christmas movies of the last few years. There's been a lot of like ho 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 Christmas movies, and then a lot of movies set around Christmas where it really gets the spirit of love and kindness and Christmas yada yada. Uh, this was one of them. I just have never been happier watching a movie at, you know, 11 p.m. in an empty movie theater than when I watch this. I think this is Alexander Payne's best movie. I think it says a lot about class, a lot about race, a lot about status without telling you that it's being about that. And um, Giamatti's character, I forget his name, Paul Hudnam, one of the most fascinating, because he's so hated and then you see him out. It's it's like looking at a father or just anybody that you see in there as as a, as a teacher, especially. Um, but you just hate them, and they're so mean and cruel. And then you see them as a human. It's like you're a person. And to be able to to show that on screen was fascinating. The technical achievements of this movie were fantastic too. Uh, not going to win anything because of Oppenheimer and Killers, Killers of the Flower Moon, but it was a beautifully shot movie. Uh, number two. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, this is not a list of the best of. This is purely my favorite. I saw this movie three times. This I said when I watched it, this was my favorite MCU movie. We're going to do it in a couple weeks. Um, I'm going to figure out re-watching it if it's still my favorite MCU movie. It is absolutely a breakup movie. 
I saw this right after I broke up with my fiance. Great timing because it is heart-wrenching. I cried. I laughed. Um, again, not going to talk too much about it because we're going to see this. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. But number one is Oppenheimer. I love Christopher Nolan. I think that he is a popcorn movie director who is so good that he's judged as a uh, as a prestige director. But he's a popcorn movie director who is just better than the rest. He's better than his contemporaries. You should judge him against Michael Bay. You should not judge him against um, Scorsese even. Because it's just two different, it's two different mediums, two different types of movies, two different art forms. And he has mastered this art form. Uh, his uh, his dialogue, it's not realistic, but it's mo- it's movie good, you know? It doesn't matter if it's realistic. This was a stunning movie. I saw it in IMAX three times. I don't think I blinked for the three hours it was on. The last hour is so necessary because it, just the explosion of the bomb and the sound, I, if you haven't seen it at this point, then what are you doing? If you didn't see it in theaters, you're missing out. You need to turn the lights off. If you're watching it at home, you need to shut up for a couple minutes while while it's going off. It's like listening to the final uh, the final breakdown of Stairway to Heaven. Like there's just no talking during this point, okay? And then the next hour is this come down and this build up, build up and build up, and this unexpected good feeling thanks to Rami Malek and uh, Alden. I always forget his name. The guy from Solo. Uh, he was just a fascinating, a fantastic little piece of this. But Robert Downey Jr. is going to win his Oscar. I am so excited for that. Uh, Damon was great, obviously. Killian Murphy might win his Oscar. Uh, Paul Giamatti, I'm hoping, gets it. But RDJ, it is his time. I think this was telegraphed from about a year ago that he was going to win, and he, it, it's going to happen. Uh, that being said, the final 20 seconds of this movie, devastating because it's real but way less so than Killers of the Flower Moon because it feels fake. Nolan is so good at making his movies feel like movies, and that is a skill because you can do so earnestly without it feeling uptight. You know, that's why I don't love Fincher that much because like Scorsese, he makes his movies feel like real life, high quality, just in terms of dialogue, in terms of how he sets up his shots, uh, in terms of how people explain what's going on to each other. Nolan does so like it's a movie. It's a little bit cheesy, but it works because he's great at it. But Fincher, he's very earnest in making it realistic, and I just don't think that works as well for me. Um, But because it felt like a movie, it could be devastating and still the Oscar frontrunner, Nolan is going to get his Oscar, and that's exciting. Nolan, Downey Jr., Paul Giamatti, all getting the first Oscars. So running back through it all, uh, from 1 to 27, Oppenheimer, Guardians 3, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Creator, Poor Things, Cross the Spider-Verse, Haunting in Venice, Barbie, Asteroid City, Dumb Money, The Marvels, A Man Called Otto, Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Dungeons and Dragons, colon, Honor Among Thieves, No Hard Feelings, Willy Wonka, Indiana Jones, and the Dial of Destiny, The Covenant, Gran Turismo, The Equalizer 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Creed 3, Talk to Me, uh, three back-to-back, uh, sequels, interesting, uh, the Little Mermaid, Ant-Man of the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and Silent Night. If you hate my wrong opinions, tweet me at wrong opinion presents. I'm just gonna guess that'll be the name of our Twitter page. You can find out if it's not. Uh, we're gonna be back later this week talking about uh, this week in theaters. Uh, I'm gonna be talking about two movies. One was actually a 2023 movie that I saw 
after the change of the year. Absolutely devastating. A bunch of jacked guys. You can probably guess what that is. And another one that I was kind of interested in, not excited about, and kind of fell in love with. Biggest question, though, is it blasphemous? If you can guess what it is, let me know. Till then, peace out.